If you have a Bible, go ahead, open it to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there in a, in a few moments. You know, this morning we're going to be ending a sermon series we've been in uh, for about, well, it's a 10-week sermon series. We've taken some breaks along the way, so it's been longer than that. But a 10-week sermon series called Formed. And in this series, we've really been asking the question, what does it mean to live the Christian life? And what kind of character is Christ forming in us as his children? And so it's been a long series. We've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about God's grace and how that forms character in us. We've talked about the word of God and the authority of the word of God in our lives and how that forms us into the image of Christ. We've talked about our sin and how God is helping us to root sin out of our lives. We've talked about hard things, suffering, trauma, grief, things that we experience in life that absolutely form who we are as followers of Jesus. We've talked about the Holy Spirit and how he forms character in us. We've talked about the calling that God puts on us as ministers of the gospel and how that forms character. So we've, we've been all over the place in this series. And if you've missed any of it, I, I encourage you to go to our website or podcast, YouTube channel, lots of places, and, and you can catch up on this series. But as we finish it today... You know, there's one thing that I think we need to deconstruct. I'm going to use that word very intentionally. Deconstruct inside of us in order for us to fully embrace the kind of life and character that Christ is trying to form in us. One thing that I think we have all been discipled into by society, by our culture, by, yes, even the church. This thing's been formed in us. And I think this one thing actually works against Christ-like character in us. And we need to talk about this morning. But to do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate it for you, okay? So, Evan, where are you at? Come out here, where you are. Come on, Evan. All right, I'm going to use Evan. He's going he's gonna to be a really good sport for me this morning. I'm sorry, buddy. All right. All right, Evan. So we're going to build Evan's character. I've got a few props here. Hold on. All right, Evan's married, all right, Evan's married, and so we all know that a good Christian is going to have a strong marriage, right? He's going to love his wife well, he's going to care for her, especially today, Mother's Day, right? All right, and so he's got good marriage. Um, Evan's also going to do a really good job at managing his money. We got to be good stewards of our money, and God, you know, all of our money is God's, and so, you know, we got to make sure we manage that well. Um, Evan's got some sin he needs to deal with, and so he's going to be good and confess that sin, work towards getting that rooted out of his life. Hope you do that, Evan. Every good Christian needs good times of rest. Get that in there. Come on. All right, good, good rest. All right, he's going to take his Sabbath, make sure he's not overworking. The Bible tells us to do that. What else do I have back here? Oh, big decisions in Evan's life. I mean, we were talking last night about you buying a car and stuff like that. Well, he's got to figure out what to do with those big decisions. Um, let's see here. Oh, Evan needs to learn the Bible. So he needs to make sure that uh, he has good knowledge of the Bible. He's reading it every single day, that he's able to answer good Bible questions, especially because you're a pastor. You need to do that. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Evan, you got three kids. 
So you got to be present dad and know how to deal with conflict amongst your kids. Uh, let's see. Oh, prayer. You need to be a man of prayer every day. All right. Without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. What else here? Oh, Evan, you need to share your faith with your coworkers. All right. Good. And lastly, you know, Evan, Evan's gone through some hard stuff in his life, some trauma maybe. And he's also got to figure out how to deal with that. But, you know, he's strong. He can deal with it. This is good. So here's the fallacy. Evan, hang on. Here's the fallacy that we need to deconstruct. That this is maturity. We believe that this, being able to handle all of these things, manage all of these things, is the definition of maturity. The more mature you are, the more you can handle. The more mature you are, the more you can have a hold of all of these things. You are a strong Bible reader every single morning. You know all kinds of stuff about the Bible. You share your faith. You're a great dad. You know what I mean? You don't let the hard things of life get to you. You're make big decisions with perfect wisdom, all right, not really any sin, struggles, rest, hang on, Evan, all right, marriage, everything, that we think this is maturity, and that to burden anybody else with any of these things, to ask for help would be immature, weakness, it would be annoying to ask another person to help with these things. But the problem with this view of maturity is life just doesn't work that way. Take a rest. Life doesn't work like that. You have no idea what life is going to bring you any day. And all of a sudden, things start to drop. Maybe they all start to drop. You can't hang on. And now we just got shame. Now I'm just looking at my immaturity in the face. Because then we think this is immaturity, right? You stay there. (laughs) Romans chapter 5. Real quick, I want to read a quick passage out of Romans chapter 5. Verses 3 to 5. Just a couple of verses. Paul Paul says this in verse 3. He says this, We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. There's a word we've been using this whole series. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, sometimes I think... When we think about Christ-like character, when we think about endurance, all right, this passage here in Romans chapter 5, we might interpret it like this, right? All right, let's find these. All right, get the marriage one back up there in, in sin. Let's hold both of those together, right? Almost like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work on these things, and I might experience some hard things, suffering, right, in my life. But that suffering, right, is going to—no, no, 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 hold on, hold on. That suffering is going to, to build endurance, all right, I got him. Life's shaking me up a bit, but I, but I have it. All right, I can handle more now because I've grown in my endurance, right? And big decisions and 
you know, parenting. You guys get the point. As we begin to build these boxes, right? And I'm going to endure a little more suffering in life. I've built up endurance. I've built up maturity. I look more like the image of Christ. All right, so I can handle more. And we begin to, to add more. And it's the same fallacy. We believe endurance is being able to withstand more in the midst of the suffering of life. But I don't think that's the kind of endurance that the the scriptures is talking about. See, Romans 5 says that suffering leads to endurance, endurance leads to character, and character leads to hope, and hope will not put us to shame. And I think a good interpretation of that verse Uh, is this idea that we have this blessed hope that one day Christ is going to return. He's going to eliminate all sin and struggle, and we're going to be in his kingdom for all of eternity. And that hope alone gives us endurance to be able to manage, withstand, go through the, the sufferings of life, and it won't put us to shame. I think that's a good interpretation of that text. I just don't think that biblical endurance means you being able to handle all of it on your own because this view of endurance will put you to shame because you can't handle it all. All right? You're set free. Thank you so much. What I want to do this morning... Yeah, just get them out of the way. What I want to do this morning... So I want to give us a vision for the kind of life, the kind of freedom that Christ has purchased for you. The kind of endurance, the kind of character that Christ is forming in you. Because that view of maturity and character and endurance will put you to shame. It's not fully embracing the kind of character that Christ is leading you into and the freedom that he's leading you into. And so that's where I want to read from Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Acts 2, and I'm going to read verses 42 to 47. You know, this uh, passage is right after Pentecost. So you have the early, early church in Jerusalem, the very first Christians. Christ just ascended to be with the Father, and the Holy Spirit has come down, has empowered his church. And so what we're going to read right here is the first description of the early church. So that first church service, right, fresh with the Holy Spirit, what are they doing? What does it look like? What is, how is this local church living their life? Let's read that together, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, and they, that's this church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
as we look at this scripture together, I think some of the things we observe, just what was this church doing? Well, it's obvious they lived life together. Uh, They studied scripture and heard teaching together. They went to the temple together. They broke bread. They celebrated communion and remembered the cross of Christ together. They ate their meals together. They had experiences with one another that gave them a collective awe in the Lord. They met each other's needs. They sacrificed things they had to meet others' needs. And I love this, they were well thought of by outsiders. So people on the outside of this church knew who these people were, and they were well thought of. So I'm guessing what that means is they might be going, I'm not sure if I believe what they believe, but I really like them. I just have a lot of respect for those people. This is the first vision of life in a local church that we get in Scripture, and it is a life that is lived together. A life where nobody is on their own for anything. I want you to let that sink in. Nobody is on their own for anything. No one is expected to have perfect knowledge of the Bible alone. No one is expected to have impeccable spiritual disciplines alone. No one's expected to be able to to, to pray in all circumstances alone or eat alone or deal with their doubt in God alone or make big decisions about their life alone or deal with the problems in their marriage alone or to figure out what to do about work alone. No one was expected to do anything alone, but we have all been programmed to do everything on our own because that's how we define maturity. It's in us. It's not just this cognitive thing. It's like in us. We define maturity by I can handle it all on my own. I find it interesting in Acts chapter 2 verse 47 where it says they had favor with all of the people around Jerusalem. And I, I just wonder why. Like what was it about this early church that made them have favor with, with the people? And I think it's partly because this was a group of people that relied on one another. They weren't people who relied on themselves. You think about it. So if you're someone who relies on yourself for almost everything, all right, Well, there's got to be a gap. Maybe it's a small gap, big gap, but there's got to be some sort of gap between what's really going on inside of you and what you let other people in on, right? So, you know, if it's like, okay, I'm having money issues, and money's a big source of stress in my life, but, I, but I'm going to rely on myself to figure this out, then there's going to be a gap. I, I'm having money issues, but what other people know or see or what I talk about is not that, right? There's a gap between what's really going on with me and, and what I let other people in on. If my marriage is really struggling and we're having a really, really hard time, but hey, we're going to rely on ourselves. We don't want to ask for help and we don't want to burden people at the church with that. So there's going to be a gap between what's really going on when the door closes at night at your house and what other people know is going on in you. There's a gap. But when you think about people who rely on others, or like a church, that they, they rely on one another. Well, that necessitates a level of transparency. 
That necessitates a level of being okay with people seeing imperfection. And I think it's easy to trust and like people who are transparent. Because yeah, they're just not as judgmental. They're, they're unassuming. They're, they're easy to get close to. And so I think it's easier to trust, to like those kinds of people. And that's kind of how I imagine the church in Acts chapter 2. They had this massively unifying event in Pentecost. And they became a people by the Spirit of God that relied on one another and relied on Christ. And I think that made them a kind of people that had favor with the city. See, true, here, I need you to get this this morning. True Christ-like character means living a life that invites others in instead of shutting them out. Godly endurance is learning how to ask for help, not how to balance boxes. I just want to get this this to you again. True Christ-like character means living a life that invites others in instead of shutting them out. And godly endurance is learning how to ask for help and not balance a bunch of boxes. Our entire faith, like the bedrock of the Christian faith, is you have prideful, sinful, self-reliant people confessing, repenting of their pride, their sin, and their self-reliance, and putting their trust in a Savior who came to become one of us and be brutally killed on a cross so that he could pay for our sins because we could not do anything on our own to fix our relationship with God. Our entire faith is about saying, I can't do it, I need help, Jesus. Like, self-reliance is antithetical to the gospel. It is anti-gospel, this idea of, no, I can figure out a way to clean my life up. I can figure out a way to redeem myself. I can figure out a way to get back to the Garden of Eden. I can figure out a way to impress God. I'm going to rely on myself. That is anti-gospel thinking. Self-reliance will send you to hell. That's the bedrock of our faith. And that's not just the beginning of the Christian life. That is the entirety of it. And God calls us to live a life relying on one another within the church, not just to pick up self-reliance again after we say the sinner's prayer. This idea of I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to invite others. I'm going to invite God to redeem my soul. I'm going to live a life unified with a group of people that the Scripture calls the body of Christ. That is the entirety of the Christian life. Listen, we are all sinful, right? We all need help. If, if you're here, you're listening in some other way, and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, like, I need you to hear this. We are broken, sinful people just like everyone else. We don't have it all together despite what we like the world to think about us, but we are a people who put a trust in a perfect Savior who has come to help us, and he shows us immense grace and patience, and he's changing us. Like, that's the Christian life, and that's, that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you don't know Christ, that grace, that patience, 
that let me walk with you and let's see transformation and renewal and redemption in your life, that's available to you because that's what Christ is doing for us. And that's what we've been called to do for one another is to minister that kind of grace and patience that Christ has shown us to one another. That's the calling that has been put upon us. You know, I'll... I'll, uh, won't forget the, the time years ago, 10, 11 years ago now, that my wife and I got marriage counseling. And I was a, I was a pastor at a time, and our marriage was struggling. And for me, at that point in my life, that was a big deal. It was a big deal to ask for help. It was a big deal for me to admit something is wrong, and I don't know what to do about it. It's a big deal to say, I can't rely on myself for this anymore. See, as a pastor, I'm going to just confess something to you about all pastors, all right? All pastors have a gap between what's going on with us and what we let you in on. Just going to be honest. It's really, really scary to let people in on that gap, right? Because, I mean, one, you could lose your job like that. You could lose friends like that. You could lose respect like that. And so for me, it was this, all right, like, we need some help here. What, what are we going to do? And so there was a part of me that felt like this, that if I were to reveal that weakness, if I were to ask for help, that that was not going to lead to hope, and it would definitely put me to shame. But what I found as I asked for help, is that actually living the life as Christ has called us to live, inviting others in, not seeing maturity as being able to balance all the boxes, but asking for help when you need it, letting others minister to you. See, that leads to a hope that does not put you to shame. And I'm just curious, what about you this morning? Where are you at? Where do you refuse to let the light in and to ask for help. Like, are you having a hard time reading your Bible every day? And is that like a source of shame? All right, opening my Bible, I know I'm supposed to do it as a Christian, and I think you should. Absolutely, as your pastor, I think it would be amazing for your soul to open up your Bible every day. But if that's a source of shame for you, here's an idea. Find someone in the church and say, hey, can we meet for coffee once a week and read the Bible together? I need help doing it. I'm just not good at it. Can we do that? I know several people who would be overjoyed if you asked them that. Same thing with prayer. I don't know how to build a prayer life. I mean, I've been trying to learn how to pray and, you know, and and make prayer my first instinct. And yes, that's good. I think we should all try to build a life where prayer is our first instinct, but it's hard. So why not ask someone, hey, can we get together once a week or let's jump on the phone once a week? Let's just pray together. It could be a moment for me to share. Here's stuff I want to pray about. What do you want to pray about? Let's just pray. That's not weird to do. If your marriage is struggling right now and what everyone knows is that it's fine, but there's a big gap there and your marriage is in a spot where you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know how much longer this is going to last. I promise you, asking for help is not going to put you to shame. Maturity is not figuring it out on your own. 
That's immaturity. Maturity is going, we need help. And maybe that's a counselor, maybe that's a therapist, maybe that's one, someone from our staff or elders sitting with you, or maybe that's just going to your good friend sitting on the back deck and saying, we're having a hard time. You know, some of you haven't been on a date in months, years, because you won't ask for help for childcare. That's not maturity. Okay? We gotta rely on one another to live this Christian life. Some of you have been dealing with some trauma or some grief, and you don't know what to do with that, and it's a ball inside of you, and you hear these things, that maturity is being able to move past it, leave the past in the past, maturity is being able to not, you know, just power through, but you need to talk to someone. Now's the time to go, okay, I need to talk to someone. Come talk to me. Come talk to F. Or go to your good friend's house and sit down and say, can we just talk? I could go through so many examples. I mean, every one of those boxes. And that's like, I had so many box ideas. But Evan can only hold 10. All right? But Christ wants to form something new in you. That's what this whole series is about. And listen, he's chosen to use you. Look to your left and right. He's chosen to use this body to form that in you. Like this Christian life is not just a Jesus and you thing. That's not how it works. And yet that's how we're all programmed. You are hardwired. You're hardwired to go, no, 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 no. I can't do that. That would be too much of a burden on them. I can't ask them to watch my kids. Like, I mean, come on, they, they want a free night. I can't ask them to meet with me once a week. They're busy. But yet the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's the very thing he's called us to do for one another. Very thing. So what is it for you? So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a moment and um, just a few moments of silence to ask the Lord, God, what is it for me? Where do I need to ask for help? And I'm gonna give you the gift of silent meditation this morning. We live such busy lives that we don't often build this into our life, and so we'll just do it for you right here. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read a, a, a verse out of Acts chapter two. And then I'm gonna give us a minute of silence. Just a minute. And we're gonna do this three times over. And we're just gonna sit and listen for what the Spirit wants to say to us and how he wants to minister to us. I also asked Eric to play some nice soft music underneath. And that's because music has a way of softening our soul and being open to maybe what the Spirit is saying. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 44. We can put that on the screen. That would be great. And then I just want you to get into a comfortable position. I want you to breathe. All right? Shut out any worries. And I just want you to listen for what the Spirit might be saying. That's it. You don't talk. Don't talk. Just listen for what the Spirit might be saying. If your thoughts go anywhere else, that's all right. Don't worry about it. Just bring them back. Okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all 
who believed were together and had all things in common. Sit with that for just a minute. our text again. Maybe take a deep breath. And as I read it this time, I just want you to ask, we're going to sit again for another minute. I'm wondering what image pops into your mind when I read this verse. What do you see? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. One more breath. I'm going to read it one more time. My question for you as we read and again sit in silence is this. Where do you need help? Where are you doing it all alone? And all who believed were together and had all things common.
God, I pray for the grace upon each of us to have the courage to ask. I pray for the grace upon this church that we would live life together and that we would see that really we have all things in common. I pray for our town that your grace would be upon this place. They would see a light within us that our hope is in Christ. The one who has saved us, the one whom we have said, we can't do it, God, we need help. We trust in Christ to be our redeemer. We pray that not only the words of our mouth, but also the way we live our lives would be a testimony to the gospel. In Christ's name.